Hi, and welcome to Talk of the Hound, a new podcast by TheaterHound. TheaterHound is a unique new theater website launching this year, which looks at the art and business of theater from a multitude of angles. I'm your host, Wes Braver, and today my guest is Anne Washburn. She's written over a dozen plays. Her 2012 play, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, was hailed by the New York Times as downright brilliant, and it is. Her latest, Shipwreck, premiered at the Almeida Theater in London and just had a run at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in D.C. Hi, Anne Washburn. You're on Talk of the Hound. Hello, welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for talking to us. Um, I just read your magnificent shipwreck. How was the reception there in London? This is like a super American play. This is like aggressively about America right now. It is a super American. It is a super American play. I, at the same time, it's very much about an American moment, which we're having, which they they're having their own moment which is very kin. Um, so I think in many ways, I, I think they're having a really similar moment. So I think there were any number of ways in which they were A, able to relate as British people undergoing a similar moment. And then B, I mean, our politics are so foisted on them. They know so much about us more than they would like to. So I think there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of commonality of topic, um, like it or not, over there. So for our viewers who will not have seen this play yet, I mean, it is published, they could read it perhaps, but um, assuming they haven't, what, it, what would your like introduction to it be? That's a good question. Um, I think I could only have a very terrible introduction to it. I, I think <laughs> I would end up saying something like it's about a, a number of people who are trying as hard as they can in their various ways to grapple with this current moment in American politics and and also trying to relate it to the American project, the American experiment, American history. I could not make it sound less interesting if I tried. <laughs> well, I can assure the people it is very interesting. I think... Um, when you talk about the current moment, I think one of the most fascinating things about the play is that, um, as you call it in the, in the, I don't know, whatever, the epigraph, uh, that it's, it's about this current moment. Uh, it's a history play about mm -hmm. 2017, particularly, because mm -hmm. 2019 America's, and our dealing with Trump is very different than 2017 dealing with Trump. Yeah. Um, and the characters talk about... Uh, contemporary plays and and one of them says like oh there's so many contemporary plays and then somebody says well not about this exact moment so you're writing about an exactitude of this moment um can you talk about what that moment was perhaps to you uh about the comey stuff sure i mean i i i should also say that one way the play talks about history plays is plays which have a historical lens through which we're, you know, covertly examining the current moment. Totally. Shakespeare so, doing King Lear is doing about King his Lear. current. So I think you can, you can do a history play about 2017 and still be talking about 2019. Totally, totally. Um, I mean, the, the writing of the play, I didn't mean to write a play, or I didn't think I'd be writing a play. I wrote this in an... Eric N. is a playwright who does these kind of magnificent, silent playwriting retreats 
which in which he gathers together a group of playwrights at a remote location. And um, generally the way you do it is you write a play completely from nothing over a period of say five to five to eight days with um, and you, it's no communication amongst each other, no internet. He's leading you through a series. It's, it's a whole thing. Anyhow, the, the process of it is you, you go into a, a chamber where you're sealed off from your friends, families, and all of the news and all of the sort no of... No phones, no. No phones, just yeah. the constant input. And um, I've done a bunch of them. And I... I did know going into this one that something I really wanted to do was grapple with this sort of non-stop flow of, of language and discussion that we... Um, we're still experiencing it now, but people aren't talking about it in the same way. It's not a continual topic of conversation, but in 2017, we were all still fresh to it, so everyone was kind of agog and discussing it all the time, and, and every day there was a new outrage, and you'd seize on the new outrage, and you'd forget the one of the day before, and it just kind of felt like we couldn't ever... St that if we could just stop time and think about any one particular thing in For a concentrated enough. fashion, we yeah. might be able to crack it, but yeah. nobody could because we were just continually mm -hmm. being back-footed. Wrong-footed. Um, so I, I kind of thought that I would use that time to... I just wanted to kind of disgorge all of the language that was in my head. And I wanted to take a moment of political heat, and I wanted to be able to have a week to ruminate on it in some way or another. And I kind of, you know, in lovely Bellina, so <laughs> I decided that... Um, I take in the retreats a bunch because I sort of I help to run them. So sometimes I really undergo the whole process, and sometimes I just um, you moderate or something. Yeah, sometimes I'm just facilitating. Um, it's something I've stopped doing, but it was it was something I was involved in for a long time. So I I thought that I would take this opportunity to yeah to just kind of disgorge stuff and to examine stuff, and I kind of decided that a thing that I would do is that the last thing that happened nationally, like the last great outrage before we went in would be the thing that I would have characters discuss. And I kind of just thought that I'd be creating tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of language about politics. I didn't think it would be a story. I didn't particularly think it would be a play. Honestly, I sort of thought it might be therapeutic. And anyway, it felt necessary to just as a, as a writer, instead of as a reactor, but as a writer kind of engage with the nonstop craziness. So, so right before uh, we went into this retreat, two things happened. One was James Comey's testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee. And the other thing was uh, the public theater's um, production of Julius Caesar had suddenly become very controversial. Right. And, and literally I was sort of hearing some in-theater gossip about it, be it true or not, um, as I was in the van on the way to the the retreat. So that was kind of what I went in with and that was what I really started, you know, just kind of brooding about and creating and then then as that was going along, other characters started appearing and other discussions started happening, kind of to my intense surprise. Mm -hmm. Well not intense surprise, but but not really as planned. And I just kind of kept going. And I was just you know, you do pages and pages and pages of material. Um and I just figured I'd come to the end of it and have have done it. And then I, then I left the retreat, and I, I 
went back and I kept going forward for months and months and months. Huh. I was working on other projects at the time, so it was something I could only do in bits and pieces. It was, um, it was a great pleasure. There was a, a period of many months where I thought that this was not a play or it was not a play I would ever show anyone. And it was not a play that anyone knew about. It was not a commission. It was my own private thing. So like a was, space for you to engage with these political ideas that you didn't have to. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it tell was, the world about. It felt or like it felt like yeah. my own delightful secret little um, play yard with it or something. Yeah. Or star chamber. I don't know. Yeah. It felt very, you know, because when you're writing, you feel very everything. You feel very important in the process of making the thing happen. So in a political situation in which. You know, I, along with more than half the country, was continually feeling powerless totally. and upended. It was, in fact, delightful to go in and mm -hmm. just have like that modicum of control over reality you have when you're writing a thing. Yeah. Okay. So the Comey moment. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the Comey moment because there have been many Comey <laughs> moments and this, this <laughs> many Trump moments. Completely true. This was com it was in June 2017. This was Comey's testimony to the Senate Congressional, uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee. So Trump has only been president for a couple months. Just yeah, it had just happened. Uh, but he was talking about. Um, he was discussing early Trump maneuvers that. Uh, he was specifically, or or most inflammatorily, discussing, two early meetings with Trump and one was a dinner at the White House the other was I don't know if it was a dinner or just a meeting I think it was a, an afternoon meeting on Valentine's Day where Trump basically was asking him to put the brakes on the um, on the Russian investigation it was where Trump asked for his loyalty mm -hmm. Basically, where Trump tried to commandeer the Justice Department yeah. and make sure that it was his Justice Department rather than the Justice Department of, as others might see it, the United States of mm -hmm. America. So these two these two meetings that um, Comey talked about, and this was the this is where you got the famous "Lordy, I hope there are tapes" phrase. It's so great. So in this play, all these characters are. So you, you're giving us this, which which is a very helpful thing, of course, mm -hmm. to do as playwrights. This was two years ago. We're, we're not just assuming that everyone knows. Okay. They really go through, and then you stage your own version of these these meetings. Um, or and see that I'm not talking about. Right, right. Horribly. Right. And we won't, and that's fine. Okay, thank you. Sorry. I know it's a pain. It's a freaking no. pain in the ass. No, no, no. It is my job, and I enjoy doing it. Um, but okay, so the Julius Caesar thing is the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, at the public. And I find this fascinating because you name drop it in the play, and now, of course, this is where the public is where uh, this play will be. Yet. Oh. oh, dang. I was going to ask some questions about that. Sorry, yeah. Do you know when it'll be announced? Maybe I just won't release this until that's announced. Let's see, it's for 20... They don't usually... Like, April of next year. Oh, seriously? It's in 2020? It's not this fall? It's next fall? No, it's next fall. I don't want to wait that long. It's going up at DC. It's a co-pro between Woolly Mammoth. Oh, the Woolly oh, sick. The okay, Woolly great, Mammoth, great, great. Woolly Mammoth is announced. Oh, okay, great. If that's helpful. It's not as it's oh, not so as scene of the crime. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually from DC. This is a side. Oh, are you? As well. yeah. Oh, I'm a huge Woolly Mammoth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and in fact, my first jobs in the theater I got through Jonathan Tusman, who MD'd Mr. Burns, there, in 2012 or whatever. Oh God, really? Yeah. 
yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's just a random guy, but um, yeah. <laughs> oh, he was the music. He was the mu- oh oh Jonathan. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. That was such a blur. That entire thing. <laughs> I barely. Yes, he was. He was heroic, right? He had to like. That was a hero's job. Apparently. I yes. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes, because that was craziness. He thinks well of the experience. So, yeah. I'm glad. No, I, I, I'm very <laughs> glad. But it, um, but it was a feat of strength to pull that off, just because we were making crazy, insane oh, like, changes, changes all the time, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and there was much musical agility required. Yeah. And I, as far as I remember, like actual physical agility, <laughs> like a lot of kind of, yeah. Like he had a different instruments or something. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. think, there, I think yeah. there was insanity with that. That's great. Um, okay, so what can we talk about with this? Um, I will say, for me, the most provocative bit of the play uh, is this notion, they're, they're talking about um, why we don't like political theater, because mm-hmm. it's very <laughs> in your face, it's very on the nose all the time, and they're saying, yeah, well, we like songs with you know, more slippery lyrics or poems because they don't just say what they're saying. And then somebody later says, well, Donald Trump is like that. Donald mm-hmm. Trump is not telling you the truth. Donald Trump is like a poem. He's he's angling around it. I'm curious where that thought comes from. And also a character says it, you're not saying it. So mm-hmm. I'm not supposing that you're saying that. But I'm curious how, how much your own thought process about Donald Trump hues to that line of thinking. That's a good question. Um, I mean, people say some tart things about political theater in the play, which I think can be very true. I think um, but I think they're also talking about a, a preconception about political theater, which is not true. There are actually a lot of plays which I would call political, which are quite complex and quite interesting. Um, especially recently I think people have really been writing fascinating stuff but I think what is what is I think there was a kind of political theater which has whose day has kind of passed where people would sort of present um, conclusions whereas I think a lot of the really powerful political theater which is being made now really is about questions Mm -hmm. people are presenting questions Mm -hmm. and, and not answers but the yearning for answers yeah this really feels like that. There's, it's definitely is leaving like a lot of questions. Um, I don't know that I, I, a thing that I believe, unfortunately, is that I I don't know that political theater is ever useful in any direct way. Which is, of course, the dream when you write a play on a political topic. Mm-hmm. I think when I was writing on this play privately, I thought it, I thought, oh, if I can only, you know, once I realized it sort of was a play, I thought, oh, I feel like this play. <laughs> contains an analysis and I mean a chilling fact which I read somewhere years ago when they you know analyzed little kids on the play yard is that the kids who are the best liars are the best leaders mm-hmm. so I think that truth or some semblance of truth or some set of agreed upon common fact nominators is of course essential for democracy we have to all become and he, uh, he does not have any interest in that whatsoever. But it does seem to give him a hypnotic hold on, you know, 
40% of the population. So yeah, no, I think he, yes, I, I think it's true. I think he does cut to the heart of human yearning for larger, greater, less prosaic ways of thinking about life. You know, plus, plus he's, yes, yeah, so he, 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 is, he is always vaguely unfathomable, which is exciting, mm -hmm. or seems vaguely unfathomable, which is exciting, and he is nonstop, he is nonstop impulse toward excitement and drama. So that's appealing too, I yeah. think. Yeah. I mean I don't I don't think the the fact of his reality star, you know, context, like all, all of that is exactly what you're talking about. He is like an artwork in that way and, and or, or he is an artist in that way. Even if we don't want to think of reality T V as art, that there is a charisma to that, there is a like a framing of that that makes him easier to digest than a rational politician well his comfort level is totally high because a rational politician is a little bit juggling the facts they know juggling right, the facts right. they think people want yeah, to yeah, hear yeah. they're juggling. thinking about being real and he's they're, not they're thinking about being that. real and they're also thinking about like what information they need to forward and background and, and where they need to kind of steer people away from whatever topics and yeah he's just he's just his comfort level is so high yeah. he's flying i usually just ask sort of how'd you get into playwriting how'd you get into the work that you do um those, those kind of, what's your narrative of your path into the theater? Right. Um, my narrative of my path into the theater is that, sorry if I go through it crisply. No, um, that's fine. My narrative of my path into the theater is that I loved theater very much from a small child. It was, you know, one of those instinctive things. And I think the first plays I saw were the, the bigger kids doing you know, school plays or Christmas plays or something. Um, but I did really love it. But um, kind of never had a chance to, we, in my, my elementary school, we didn't, we generally didn't so much do plays. We kind of did more sort of devisey, weird hippie work. In high school? No, in, in, elementary, in, in elementary school. And then the high school I went to, um, we did very old-fashioned kind of plays, which I loved, and I loved working on them. But I, I guess it's And you say, were an actor? And I was an actor, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I loved doing it so much. Um, but I didn't think of it as a contemporary literary form. That just didn't... I wasn't so much exposed to it. Mm -hmm. So it was this thing that I loved. And then in the meantime, I was always writing poetry, but I always felt like it was not quite right, that there was something wrong with it. But I sort of kept writing it, but it, I just found it a slightly vexing and maddening discourage because there was just some element I knew I wasn't able to do. And then I went to college, college being the place where I was going to stop doing theater um, <laughs> because that was a ridiculous thing to do. And I, I, don't know what, I don't know if I thought I would still write poetry or not. I wasn't so much thinking about it. And I uh, ended up auditioning for a thesis play written by this wonderful playwright named Brett Fetzer, who's a senior. And it was this crazy, weird combination of like film noir and the Agamemnon and Pinter. Like it was just nuts. Huh. And Beckett, it was just all these weird influences that I didn't even know what they were. I couldn't tell. I just knew that the result was like very electric and very strange and very compelling. And also it was written by someone who I knew. 
you know, I could see, I could so see that. So that makes it real in a it way. It made it real. It's not Shakespeare or whatever. It wasn't Shakespeare, and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was apparently doable. So I wrote a little sort of um, skit based on that play, actually, which we had all been in for like the midnight, you know, the midnight like a variety cabaret thing, thing that yeah. we did. And um, the moment I did that, I sort of felt like I guess the two parts of my brain came together, and it felt very natural. And I felt like, oh, I this feels like the the thing I've been trying to find. I had tried to write short stories, and I could never really do them. That didn't seem natural, and the idea of writing novels seemed crazy, and poetry wasn't really working. So I was having this sort of weird, I felt like there was this weird juddering urge to put things on paper that never made sense until I wrote hmm. a play. So then I started writing plays and did a play for my thesis, but it was always under this sort of, um, always with the idea that I would stop at any moment, and certainly I wasn't going to do it after college, and the only reason I did it in college was because I was spending all of my time in the theater, and it just became senseless not to yeah, yeah, make yeah. that, you know, to get a theater lit major. Um, so that was, that was, yeah, that was sort of the beginning of doing it. It took a long time of continuing to do it, even when I thought surely I was about to do something else before I realized that was really what I was doing. Did you, how much did you enjoy acting? And I, did was that a... a dual part of it like did you act in your plays and, and do things like that I only acted in my plays a couple of times um, a friend and I had a really very incredibly tiny theater company in Portland Oregon um, which is where we had gone to school where we did plays out of this little tiny back room of a, a zine shop <laughs> that's the most Portland thing I've ever it, heard it, it I really, love it yes it really is um <laughs> And I would act in those sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly I didn't. No, I loved acting. I didn't think, uh, I found acting frustrating. Sometimes uh, I would act and sometimes everyone would say, oh, that was really good acting that you just did there. Um, and sometimes I would act and people would not say anything <laughs> or look the other way. And I couldn't tell what the difference is from when I was, I, I couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. So it was just, um, I found that perplexing. So ultimately, I... How much do you focus on it now as a playwright? I, I, like I, on acting? I, well, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a crazy question. I don't know mm-hmm. how, to, how you would begin to answer that question. But I, I think my question is more along the lines of, like, like some playwrights really feel like they're, um, I don't know, like giving some nuggets and wanting actors to take them and fly with them. Whereas, it, mm-hmm. like, I feel like you're structuring pretty big ideas and stuff and not that there isn't huge room for actors to make something of them but like I don't know am I, am I getting at a question here? No, no, I think you are I think, I think you are <laughs> I think when I started I felt that I had created this thing and it was the actor's job to embody it as exactly as possible Sure, right and, like you have an image of what it is and you want them to do the thing that, that I there. had in my head yeah, and, yeah. and the more and the more and the more I do it the more um the more I really understand what an alchemical process and the degree to which when you write a script, you kind of can't write a script which is entirely baked. Mm-hmm. You know, the actor finishes the cooking process mm-hmm. um, in front of God and man. As the saying goes. God <laughs> and all beings. Um, and then you did devising and with the civilians where, like, it's really much more fluid. Well, that wasn't for the, for the, for the work with the civilians. I mean, Burns. Mr. Burns. Um, I really took to heart a description I had heard, and I don't actually even know how accurate ultimately it is, of Carol Churchill working with 
you know, with joint stock, mm -hmm. that they would, you know, they'd all go off and mess with things and do exercises, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And she would observe it all. And then she would go off and very adamantly write her own thing, which was very much in response to that and pulling from that, mm -hmm. but that the act of writing was very um, siloed off in that way, mm -hmm. very private, which, yeah. which I... I really took to heart. You, you, so you use them as a resource, but then you bake it into... You don't use them as a resource. You, you pull from the energy of the thing which has been created, and, and you're making it toward them. So that when I wrote Mr. Burns, mm -hmm. I knew before I wrote it that, uh, that, that writing it would need to start with a group of actors in a room telling The Simpsons. Um, I knew I needed that language. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of mucking around, and then I had that language which I mucked with a great deal. And then I wrote the play from that, but toward them, with those yeah, actors in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thinking, because they were all people I'd known a lot and really had a lot of admiration for. So really thinking about their capacities and also a little bit thinking of what, what would be a stretch for them. I will say the one thing that I feel that I do know about writing for actors is that um, it's a little bit important to write something on more than one occasion, I've written a play and thought, I can never get this play produced because I, I can't ask actors to do this <laughs> crazy, insane thing that I'm about to ask them to do. Interesting, yeah. And I always find that... What, what kind of thing was that? Psychologically or physically? or? Oh, no, things like... I wrote a play called The Internationalist where there's a great deal of made-up foreign language, and I was like, you can't ask <laughs> actors to memorize foreign made-up foreign language. That's just too hard. Sure, They're not going to want to sure. do it. Um, there are a lot of... There are a lot of challenges in Mr. Burns. Oh, I wrote a play in which there are no, um, in which there are no props, and all of that is mined. Um, that was sort of a challenge. I mm. wrote a play called Ten Out of Twelve about a tech rehearsal, which yeah, involves yeah. a lot of crazy. Anyhow, that you, that what I have discovered is that actors really, really um, rise to a challenge they really really they're sort of they're, they're just the more heroic the situation is yeah. the more heroism is required of them they're ambitious too they want to they're show they can they're do completely it. ambitious and yeah. they really really want something which tests them yeah and so if you give kind actors kind of a challenge or a problem mm -hmm. they rise to it and in doing that bring even more of themselves to it i mean it becomes more of their own the harder you make it for them and there is something about um I don't know, just to be in the audience when you are, this is the most gut level appreciation of theater is what it is to watch fellow human beings completely challenging themselves and rising to that challenge just on a gut level. If yeah. the actors are suffering, it's more <laughs> fun for everyone involved. You're so right. If you enjoyed this episode, I highly recommend checking out some of our others at anchor.fm slash theaterhound. Our last episode was actually with Anne's husband, Gordon Dahlquist, an accomplished novelist and a playwright himself. Give it a listen.